every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name's Paul, I'm your host, and I'm typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh, talking with me tonight, for the very first time, I finally pulled her out of her shell and got her on the microphone, Tammy Anderson, fan and amateur Buffyologist. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here, I think. I feel like I've been trying to get you for a while. Yeah, you've you've brought it up a few times, and I decided to stop being a coward and go for it. (laughs) Well, since this is your first time, I I promise you you're more qualified for this discussion than I am. But uh, since this is your first time on, why don't you tell us sort of what your history with Buffy the Vampire Slayer is? Like, when did you start watching, and and how quickly did you become obsessed, etc.? Right, right. Um, I think in the show's time, I probably started around season six, but I didn't start watching it on TV. I started with DVDs. Um, I was working at a a bookstore and doing, I was like a low-level computer support, and uh, our sysadmin was obsessed with Buffy. And so every time we had a meeting and she was teaching us how to do something, she'd be like, okay, this is how you create a new user. Uh, my user is Buffy Summers, and you have a comment field. So I wrote in, she saved the world a lot, and you know, she would just talk about Buffy all the time. <laughs> nice. And so it kind of got in my head, and I was a fan of teen shows and you know movies, pretty much. I wasn't watching a lot of TV, and I was a f- big fan of vampires and stuff like that. I'm like, well, obviously, I have to check this out. <laughs> so I got the... Uh, the first season at the video store and I was like, Oh, this is pretty fun. This is cool. And then I got to prophecy girl. I'm like, Whoa, this is for real. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just zoomed through season two and, and yeah, been stuck on it ever since. Did you, did you manage to catch up with the show before it went off air? Um, not quite. Uh, I didn't have cable or any TV oh, at the okay. time, really. I was pretty much using my TV as a place to watch movies, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I did, like, keep up with the DVDs. Um, it, I finally got a hold of season three, which was always rented, but I got it. And then after that, not too long, was season four and season one of Angel DVDs came out and I bought them at Costco for an obscene amount of money and (laughs) watched them over and over and then, you know, waited for the next. So yeah. (laughs) All right. And, uh, how, how rabid, I mean, I think of you as one of my, my Buffy peeps, like in all my (laughs) social medias or whatever, you're one of the people that I just categorize as Buffy fans. So, 
Yeah. Uh, I, I think that you're pretty, you're a pretty big fan. I was going to say obsessed, but I don't want to offend anybody, but how obsessed <laughs> would you say you are with, uh, Buffy and or Angel? Um, it's, uh, this verse, I guess is, is my favorite TV one. I mean, I'm into a lot of, of TV, especially nowadays, since there's so much good stuff. Oh, too much. But, um, yeah, <laughs> but Buffy was the first, uh, I mean, it wasn't the first TV show I loved as a kid. I liked Star Trek and then in college I liked Twin Peaks, but, um, Excellent. yeah, Buffy was the first one that really meant something beyond aesthetic appreciation or, well, that's not fair for Star Trek, but that <laughs> meant something, but I was a kid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Buffy was the one. I mean, she still may be the only real female character I've ever really identified with. I don't know. <laughs> I just something about that in the show, and it was a mix of. I've always been into fantasy, so the mix of kind of mythic elements and the themes, and yeah, I don't know. I it's not like I rewatch it every year now. I used to, but <laughs> yeah, I'd say obsessed is a good word. It's kind of the basis. <laughs> a lot of things for me yeah do you ever do or have you ever done like conventions or have you ever been to any of the slayage conferences i went to the 2012 one in vancouver oh man i was gonna i was wondering if we had ever crossed paths i did not go to the vancouver no. one so no i did that's the only one i've gone to i was gonna go to montreal i thought that would be a fun vacation but that got canceled yeah <laughs> that would have happened like a week or two ago i think yeah so. All right. But yeah, I don't do a lot. Of, I'm not a, I'm not a people person, so I don't do a lot of like convention <laughs> stuff or anything. Right. So I did Dragon Con one year and it was miserable. Never again. <laughs> Never again. Yeah, I'm just uh, like, uh, <laughs> no, thank you. All right. Well, so I um. You and I haven't spoken, at least not to my knowledge, we haven't spoken about how, what your feelings on season seven are. Uh, what the hell? I'll just go ahead and ask. What's your favorite <laughs> season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Oh, God, that one's so hard. <laughs> or what's your least favorite? I have favorites for different reasons. I mean, if I actually had to nail something down, season five would probably be my favorite cool. although cool. there's so many good things about all the others and i'm a i'm a season six lover too because yeah. it meant it meant a lot to me in a bad time yeah it's, it's happened with other people <laughs> i uh and... i i have just recently for this podcast finished the rewatch of season six and i was much kinder to it than i thought i would be i did not remember i've never been a fan of season six and so on this rewatch <laughs> i i was hoping that I could come out of it a little more positive. And I did. I did. It's still not my favorite, but I, I liked sure. it more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's very, I don't know if there's any seasons I don't like, and I do like season seven. It's been a really long time. I realized this the other day since I rewatched all of it. Um, I think probably 2012 was when I rewatched it last altogether. So, but I always liked it and I, I mean, I know you don't like the ending. I lo love the ending, <laughs> so it all works for me, you know. <laughs> I can't. I cannot. I I legitimately cannot wait for the the flood of hate mail that I get oh. when we <laughs> come to the series finale. 
I, I just, I don't know. Uh, it'll be heartwarming if even one person's like, that's a very good point. I agree with you. Thank you for sharing that idea. <laughs> but I'm sure most people will be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, it's always it's always less than we think. I think uh, confirmation bias online works for like the negatives too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. notice the people disagreeing with you more than the people that agree. Yeah, true. All right. Well, that's the grand experiment of this podcast is to see how many people I can alienate <laughs> by the end of season seven. But sounds fun. Uh, for the time being, we are um, tonight. We're going to be discussing episodes seven oh eight sleeper and 709 never leave me uh so we're not even halfway through uh the final season yet before we start the discussion let me throw in the spoiler warning just in case for some reason uh this is someone's first episode conversations with dead people is not a typical rewatch and review podcast uh, we're going to be exploring the plots characters and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole that means spoilers and a lot of them so i recommend if you haven't already watched buffy the vampire slayer and ideally angel the series all the way through at least once press pause go do that uh we'll be here as long as you need us you can come back and find us whenever you're ready so with that out of the way, Tammy, if you're ready, let's go to work. I want to slay the dragon. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> um, I was just telling Eric Sippel, my guest last week for, uh, for the episode conversations with dead people that um, I've been ever since the first episode of this podcast, I've been spoiling the end of angel. And I, and I don't know how many of my listeners know that I'm sure a bunch do. I'm sure they're all angel fans, but. We're a long they ways away be. from getting to the episode that actually pays off my whole let's go to work thing. <laughs> well, we were close in uh, episode four of this season because Buffy's sentiment at the end of that was kind of let's go to work. True. True. So. Um, all right. So I'm going to start with you, your impressions of 708 Sleeper. How do you feel about this episode? Well, I like this episode. I mean, I like all the episodes, but uh, almost. <laughs> I enjoy the episode. I enjoy Spike's whole arc this season, as I enjoy most of his arcs. So um, I, I found it really kind of interesting coming off of conversations with dead people, you know, kind of following up on, on that whole thing as they figure out what's happening. So, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's late. It's not like the best episode or something. But right. I enjoy it. Um, so uh, I don't know if you listened to last week's episode with Eric, uh, but I did. It, in that episode we were discussing, he and I were discussing how um, conversations with dead people felt like, or I remembered it as, and he also, he agreed that it was considered kind of the high watermark of season seven by a lot of people. And mm -hmm. that um, there are certain elements, particularly of, spike's plot line this season that um he and we were not really looking forward to <laughs> i had forgotten yeah, I heard that i'd forgotten what sleeper was before eric started talking about his memories of it and that soured me a little bit so i went into this <laughs> i went into this uh a little bit bitter without even having seen it in probably 15 years so i can say um i liked it a lot more than i was expecting to um i I still struggle with the the overall pacing of the season and the the what could have been with Spike's storyline. Um, but considering what we got and where, I, as much as I remember of where it's going, I 
I didn't mind this episode the way I thought it was going to. Um, I mean, for one thing, this episode, we get an awful lot of Buffy being sympathetic to Spike, which is really all I ever want out of this show. <laughs> right. Yeah. I <laughs> think the... both episodes is very sympathetic. Yeah. Um, although there is a catch, there's a hitch in that that we, <laughs> that we can get to, but, um, uh, let me see. I'm trying to remember all the events that happened in this. Um, what, what's your favorite bit about this episode or what, what stands out to you? Well, I do like the, um, yeah, I like the, uh, conversations between Buffy and Spike. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the bit with Anya's funny, of course. Right. Um, I like how, like, she does that whole thing. I'm here for sex. And then later on when Buffy, like, kind of confronts Spike and throws him out of bed, he's wearing pants. Is he sleeping this time? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I bet it's not safe around here to be naked. Can't be too careful. <laughs> That's funny. And I, I liked kind of Detective Spike when he was, like, going, oh, shoot, I, I don't know what happened. I need to investigate this. So that was pretty good. Yeah, that was good. Um, I I joked last week that uh, it was it, that we've had one episode that didn't feature Xander in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> right. And, and so I had obviously chosen the right episode to name the podcast after. <laughs> but uh, I, it was actually good to see Xander back. It was good to yeah. have Xander back this episode. And he was good this episode. Yeah. I, I like how he's learned from selfless that he, he may like, you know, present the argument that, you know, Spike might be evil, but he's not doing it the way he used to with Spike or Angel. Right. He's like, right, maybe I should be more sensitive about this. <laughs> yeah, I, I I genuinely liked his attempt at being, you know, impartial or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a good look on him. Yeah. Uh and and in fact, when when Buffy like bursts into his apartment and is saying where's Spike, where's Spike, um, Xander has one moment, one line, where it almost, if you squint and turn the volume up, <laughs> it almost sounds like he was concerned for Spike. When he says, What? Why are you looking for Spike? Is he in trouble? <laughs> I don't I mean, some people could read that as him going, Oh yes, is he in trouble? Do we get to stake him now? But I actually heard it as is Spike in trouble? Does he need help? Yeah. Yeah. I think he was, yeah, he was not being the unreasonable hate guy. <laughs> right. Um, I did notice, I, it felt like the first time it couldn't possibly be the first time that I noticed this or, or that somebody had made me aware, but I did notice that Spike smokes Morley's. Oh Yeah. The TV cigarettes, <laughs> which I I know that at this point they are all over the place. They're in like hundred. They yeah, they're the TV cigarettes exactly. <laughs> um, but I still only equate them with X Files. Like that's the yeah, that's the only thing I picture them with. And so I was like, oh my god, Spike smokes the same cigarettes as Cancer Man. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was fun. Maybe may, maybe Cancer Man stole the idea from him. Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. What else? So the Anya scene, like you said, is hilarious. Yes, it's very funny. Um, and calls calls back to entropy, of course. And mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I like that. There was actually a podcast once upon a time called Halfway to Happy Land. Oh, no um, way. From that scene. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the that's the quote that I wrote down from this episode. <laughs> I'd forgot. As soon as she said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a famous quote. Like, I'd totally forgotten that quote even existed. Yeah. Um, and she called him William. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, I guess, trying to evoke empathy or something or intimacy i guess is a better word Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean you know he's more william than he used to be so yeah i just i was trying to remember if she's ever i think i think buffy's the only one that's ever called him that maybe i think so maybe in conversation someone because they talk about william the bloody once in a while but yeah. yeah not many people call him that but yeah Okay, so you said you like Spike's arc or his plot this season. So the the big question that Eric and I raised last week was the idea of Spike as the sleeper agent. And of course, this episode is called Sleeper. Right. Um, and he's regularly triggered by that song, uh, Early One Morning. Yeah, it's stuck in my head now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So is that part of what you like about his storyline this season? I think it kind of makes it complicated because, you know, they obviously had to be like, well, we can't have it just like Angel, you know, because for one, he's a different character and, you know, serves a different purpose. But I think it does complicate things and it kind of makes sense. I mean, there's a lot in these two episodes that remind me of Amends, which Mm -hmm. makes sense because the villain, the same. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, I can see the first messing with him that way. And So refresh my memory and our listeners, who I'm sure don't need it because they're smarter <laughs> than me, but Amends from season three, that was the one, that was the magical Christmas episode, right? That was the yeah, magical Snow yeah. and Sunnydale episode. And that was our, That's right. that was our, previously our only experience with the first, the first evening. Right. And, and it so was... among the similarities, I believe in that episode, Angel was... Uh, begging Buffy to kill him because he yep. was tormented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was telling him that living is fighting and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the first was uh, at least took credit for bringing Angel back from hell. I don't know if we ever got confirmation whether it did or not. I mean, I tend to think the powers of B did, but, or maybe Jasmine did. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who knows how far back it goes, but um, I just, yeah, the the fact that the, you know, these people are tormenting him and like in amends, you know, the they were trying to get Angel to uh, take Buffy in various ways, mm-hmm. and you know, in this one, he's like taste her, make her weak, yeah, to Spike, and I just, yeah, I, I don't. I know. I just like the parallels. I know uh, Eric was talking about it being the same, and I don't think it's the same. I think it's parallels, and I find those interesting. They do that a lot in the show. Yeah. Um. So the so you brought up the the line that the first says of taste her, make her weak. Yeah. So that brings up. I mean, we can discuss this across both of these episodes. I'm gonna. It could come up anywhere, but I'll I'll start this questioning now the idea that the first is probably the dumbest villain that Buffy has ever faced (laughs) 
certainly in my opinion it's the villain whose potential is probably waste wasted the most um because well okay so the reason i bring it up here is you you mentioned that line and i understand that as the first evil he doesn't necessarily it he she it doesn't necessarily have to have all of the answers and know how everything's going to work but it seemed like a pretty gross miscalculation to force Spike to have a taste of Buffy and then that turns out to be what clears his head. Right, just like when Buffy tasted Dracula. Yeah. Yeah, it's very similar to that. Yeah, um I don't know. It's it's I I don't know that I've had problems with the first necessarily as a villain, but when you look close at some of it, it's like what are what are you doing? Because you know, presumably Holden was her creature or, or it, it's, I always think of it as her cause Jenny was the first so much in the men. So it just stuck in my head. Oh, good point. Okay. But, um, it, uh, presumably was using Holden and he revealed that Spike was, was killing people. Yeah. And, but then later when Spike's like calling Buffy to the house, the, the first is like, it's too soon. It's like, well then why would you tell that spikes killing people you know so it's like maybe it's a bad planner or maybe holden wasn't working for the first i don't know yeah there are some holes in in what it does and also it's like seriously you thought andrew would be helpful right why is that what you're why is he the one you're pinning all your hopes on Jeez, get a clue yeah yeah it's like i i it's so funny because i mean this is the next episode but i think that's the only comedic like first storyline is is the pig and the you know the whole thing with warren and andrew being so ridiculously inept (laughs) okay i mean it's funny but maybe the first isn't that smart (laughs) yeah when he's your agent you can't help but be funny i guess um yeah yeah so uh, again as i continue my rewatch of this season for the first time in x number of years uh, maybe my opinions will change but based on my foggy, foggy memories and conversations I've had with other people, I just feel like over the course of this season, there are so many, even with the, so I don't know what all of the first abilities are, but primarily it seems like the first has the ability to channel the, the memories and images of those who have died. That's like its main trick. And even with just that, I feel like it could have been so much more of a serious threat over the course of the season um, like there are things that, that it does or that it forces other, uh, characters to do that just seem pointless or trivial or like haphazard, not really effective at all. And I realize, so I've seen some people complain that like, you know, when the, when the bringers or the harbingers as they're called now, when they crash into Casa Summers uh, and start wreaking havoc, that you know if if the first really wanted to to do some harm there like why didn't they just riddle the house with gunfire or why didn't they set the house on fire like all these things and in for some stuff like that i recognize that you have to allow in order for the for the plot to follow through you can't have the villain be supremely effective early in the season like I think we find out at some point that Caleb is the one that bombed the Watchers Council. 
Yes. So, like, you know, a question would be, why didn't Caleb bomb Buffy's house? Like, if if he if the first has people working for him that can just set explosives, he could have done that at any time in any place. Right. Um, I. I mean, part of it, I, I mean, the first obviously could have killed everyone around Buffy, but part of it is, uh, I think it's established kind of that the order is to kill the potentials first. Okay. And then finish up, because Faith doesn't get attacked until later either. Right. So, I mean, that's part of it. But yeah, there's also just the buildup. I mean, up until now, you know, I viewers, I think, had guessed it had to be the first... But, you know, the, the, the Scoobies didn't know for sure even what was going on. So this is the, the reveal of the villain. We haven't even gotten to all of its <laughs> machinations yet. Right. That was a question I was going to ask you. And, and uh, again, we can, whenever you're comfortable or you've run out of things to say here, we can transition to, into Never Leave Me. But um, I was going to ask if you had any memory of the fan base back in the day. But you you weren't watching it live. So No. And I, I wasn't really interacting with a lot of other people, just a few. Okay. So Well, so I'll I'll put this out to the listeners. Um that uh I don't have any memory of what the sort of online chatter was or anything at this point. So I don't remember how many people were uh like super sharp and figured out early on that this was the first from that one episode back in season three. Um, but apparently there were people that knew that. Yeah, I seem to recall reading like some recaps that people had figured it out. So good on them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, that's, think I did. that's pretty I mean, good. I don't usually try to figure out a mystery. I just let it tell itself. To uh-huh. me. But but yeah, I think that they're pretty, pretty good. Um, I did. Let me see. I had some notes. I just wanted to note about this episode. I like the the spike line of the you know the chip they did to me and the soul I got on my own for you. Yeah, it's beautiful. And um, so that's another kind of instance of you know choice uh, versus like you know control, which comes up through the season. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting. Did I note down anything else that's super important. <laughs> Oh, I, you know what I thought of? This is random and immaterial because this comes up so, so late. But when Angel, remember that submarine episode with Angel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where he creates the vampire to get them out of the situation and then he comes back later and kidnaps all the, all the Angel crew. Right. And it turns out that because Angel sired him when he had a soul, he was a little different. <laughs> I'd forgot, like, I'd forgotten that twist on it, but yeah. Yeah, I was like, I wonder if any of these like vampires that no longer are around. I mean, Holden was kind of maybe a little different. Man, I still i I will never forgive this show for killing Holden off. Man, <laughs> he needed a spinoff series. Yeah, he was good, but it was funny because they hadn't even begun to think of something like that at this point. But yeah. it made me think of it. So I think it's kind of funny. Um. Yeah, so I guess the biggest thing about this episode that we should talk about is the Buffy and Spike relationship. Uh, I mean, I'm yeah. such a I'm such a massive uh, Spuffy, or was at least at one time a massive Spuffy fan that uh, you know this episode is like mother's milk to me. <laughs> yeah, it's very very good. Um, 
And just putting on my cynical podcaster hat for a second, I could actually for a couple seconds, because I'm going to bring up a couple things. Uh, I could potentially, viewers could potentially look at Buffy's, uh, you know, treating him so well and uh, being so willing to uh, forgive or, you know, assume that he's being manipulated or whatever as kind of, as just a little bit of inconsistency. Because. <laughs> Actually, I think it's in the next episode where she says the line, I, I saw you change or, you know. Right. Um, that seems like just the tiniest bit of retconning based on what her attitude about him had always been in season six. Well, a lot of things have happened, you know, since then. I really do think that she came, you know, out of the end of that season changed again. Mm-hmm. You know, she kind of understood, you know, like she says, she said, I don't hate like that anymore. And I don't think she does. Yeah. I think she's kind of come out of that. And I mean, I also have a whole theory about the Slayer and sold vampires because she, you know, ends up kind of being a guide or a mentor to them. And I think it's significant, but, oh, you know, that's just more of a mystical level than a personal level. Is that, is that something famously, I haven't read all the comics, but, uh, is that a thing that is ever covered in any of in the show or in any supplementary material? Not that I necessarily have read. Um, I haven't read everything. Um, I just, I don't know to me, kind of the, like every vampire is a person Buffy couldn't save. Mm -hmm. And so if they get the soul back, that person's kind of back again. And it's almost like a, not a duty, but it's like a, Maybe it's a pleasure to be like, okay, this one's saved now. So I don't know. I can't, <laughs> I don't know that I can explain it well, but it's just a, it's kind of, it feels kind of mystical. Like, you know, of course you would have close relationships with soul vampires. I mean, you know, she had relationships with Spike before anyway, but yeah, just this idea of being kind of a guide of trying to save them again because she couldn't the first time, even though, you know, she obviously wasn't there, but you know, that feeling that's that's fascinating that uh that brushes up against a not so much a theory but sort of a a fan fiction idea that i always had uh around when spike makes the jump over to angel um, uh -huh. so you and i'll have to talk again whether it's on an episode about angel or just off mic but uh i always thought that spike having fought to fought for the return of his soul and then uh, going through everything he goes through in season seven of Buffy. And I don't know. I, I just felt like Spike would come to the realization that uh, between him and Angel, having your soul returned can save a vampire and can like make them a genuine hero or whatever. And so I imagined a storyline where his sort of mission then would be to go and save Drusilla. Oh, interesting. That, he, could... that it, he, his afterlife's purpose would be to uh, <laughs> get Drusilla to get her soul back in the hopes that uh, he could save her. I guess I could see that, although... I don't know. I don't Drew, think I don't think she'd be a good soul vampire. <laughs> I, I don't think it would work. And that would have been one of the, the typically uh, tragic Whedon <laughs> storylines. <laughs> but uh, I just thought that, uh, that to me, at least that 
thought process makes sense. And I would have liked to have seen sure. Spike go, hey, Soul made me better. I mean, it wasn't fun, but it made me better. Maybe it would make Drew better, too. Right. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Yeah. Anyways, that's a whole other show. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so the other. And then they'd have to be careful not to like make it too much like Angel Darla. Because <laughs> right. you always got to right. make them different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the other nitpick or whatever you want to call it that I have about um, Buffy's attitude towards Spike in this episode. I don't want to, I'm really not complaining because I adore Spike so much <laughs> and I, and I, I love Anya, but I love Spike way more. And so this isn't actually a complaint, but I think it's um, air quotes, interesting how Buffy is so ready to give Spike the benefit of the doubt and help him and trust that he is not, you know, that he's not his right self yet. Just a few episodes ago, she was all gung ho for slaughtering Anya. Right. Yeah. I have a little issue with that too. I mean, in my head, uh, she's not quite so like slaughter happy. Um, but maybe I don't have a reason to think that. I mean, she does know that uh, you can't kill a, Vendor's demon by stabbing it in the chest. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it fe- fe- felt to me like she's just trying to like make a point to Anya, like this is. But you know, I'm probably just making that up to make it better. They didn't really lead up to that well enough because they didn't have time to. I think. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know, she also she was you know she went after her when she did a bad thing, but she was also the first to bring her back into the fold. So I don't know. It's it's a little inconsistent. But yeah, the the Scoobies themselves and the potentials will be like very suspicious of her her relationship to Spike throughout the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they 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 agree with you. It's weird that he gets all the benefit of the doubt. But how could you watch that scene in the ch- in the church and not give him the benefit of the doubt? I mean, uh, come on. I get chills <laughs> every time I watch that scene. Um. Okay, I don't know if there's much else in this, uh, except Amy Mann, of course. Yeah, that was, it's so dumb, but it's so funny. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I read somewhere, I'm pretty sure I read a trivia thing, that she's the only, uh, you know, they've had all sorts of uh, musical artists as guests at the Bronze over the course of this series. She's the only one that's gotten a spoken line. I think that might be true. And it was kind yeah. of, it was, it was dumb, but it was, it was still fun. Yeah, that was funny. I kind of so. wish Spike had, had, I mean, he wasn't in a headspace for this, but I kind of wanted Spike to just raise an eyebrow at that as she walked by. <laughs> right. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, what else? Is there anything else in here? Um, uh, I liked how, I mean, there's another amends kind of parallel where, you know, when the first is saying you're going against the plan, but mm-hmm. we can make it work. She said basically the same thing in amends, like, you're not, you know, you're not supposed to die. This isn't the plan, but it'll do. So I thought that was cute. Huh. I should have rewatched amends before this just to <laughs> remind myself, but yeah, I just kind of read through the dialogue of it. Cause I was like, uh, I should watch it too, but I didn't. <laughs> and uh... they compared, they kind of compared the, the first to a, a cat. Like it can't hurt to play, you know, get your claws in the mouse. And I'm like, maybe that's why it's so erratic sometimes. 
because it's it's a cat. It's a cat. That makes it sense. Also, it also goes for the pain like de Hoffman likes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. And I Giles get... is apparently dead. So. Yeah. Oh man! Thank you for reminding <laughs> me that cliffhanger. That's. Uh, I I uh, again I don't have a memory of what my reaction was when I watched this as it aired, but this time, even knowing even knowing that he's not dead. I watched that and I was like, damn, that was pretty like, like I'm trying to remember how they get out of that. I don't remember if they show us, if we ever get to see that scene again, but followed through. So we see how Giles survives. Right. But the way it was filmed, like that guy swung the ax and it, it was like, it was right there. Like he practically (laughs) made contact with Giles's neck when the, camera cuts to black i was like that's rough how could giles possibly get out of that right it's like i guess he just fell down really fast (laughs) i guess so you don't remember if we ever see i don't remember because you know they want to hold off until we suspect he's the first and then prove he's not and i can't remember if he just tells them or if we do ever get a visual i can't remember i forgot all about that so that's why they wanted us to believe other than yeah. just shock value, they wanted us to believe he was dead. So he, when he comes back, we'd think he was the first. Yeah. Yeah. That was at least part of it. Man, yeah, people must have whole... been pissed. <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of fun. It's like, oh, my God, is he actually dead? <laughs> I'm just saying when he comes back and people are speculating that he's the first, I, there had to have been some fans that were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Maybe. How yeah. dare you do this? Because but... I'll tell you, that's how I feel about Jonathan. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) I I will never forgive this show for killing (laughs) off Jonathan, especially again, Eric and I talked about this last week. And as we're about to find out in the next episode, it was pointless. It was for nothing. It accomplished nothing. Oh, I mean, it was, I, I don't know. It was, it was very effective in the episode and it, you know, brings Andrew in to, I mean, his storyline, uh, you know, his it does pay off his like, you know, atonement and stuff like that. But I mean, but yeah, don't get me wrong. It was, it was I love, shocking. I love Andrew. I, I genuinely do, and I, I don't, I don't regret some of the stuff we get with him later in the season because I think he's just Tom Lank is just adorable as this character. But it should have been Jonathan. <laughs> it just should have been Jonathan. I'm sorry, but I can hear you. I'm here, yeah. Anyways. All right, so if if there's nothing else there, we can move into Never Leave Me. Sure. Okay, so this one, uh, it's so so strange. The the previous one, Sleeper, was co-written by David Fury and Jane Espenson. And um, Jane is typically by, maybe just by me, but I thought by a lot of people, typically thought of as the comedic writer. Um. But I feel like there's a lot more comedy in Never Leave Me than there was in in Sleeper. And it's written by Drew Goddard. Who is hilarious. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he also did the tri- uh, the trio parts in Conversations, right? Yes. Or, or Yeah, y- which yes. normally you would think, because Jane used to do all of the Jonathan stuff. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, there's more comedy. It's a much lighter episode to a point. <laughs> Yeah, to a point. Um, I mean, we get... I thought it was a nice cut to go from Anya's... I love how how everybody is questioning 
the whole spike thing that Buffy's doing. Right. And Anya's like, I don't know. I, you know, will you, if you ask me, I think William the bloody is back. And then it cuts to the, the black boots and the black jeans and the black trench coat. And Oh, it's Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I like that too. I mean, they're paralleled kind of through the whole episode when they're both tied up, they both are basically wearing the same thing. They're both basically blonde and it's just, you know, they're being interrogated. Man, I actually, I'm ashamed of myself. I actually hadn't, like, registered that. Yeah, that, that it's pretty even, cool. Even in the interrogation scenes, they're they're kind of mirroring. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of fun. And the, the first, of course, is they're both agents of the first. Mm-hmm. One more unwittingly than the other. <laughs> one, one way more effective than the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... <sighs> Um, all right. Um, I didn't take a lot of notes on this, so, so run with it. What do we need to talk about in this one? Um, well, I mean, a small thing is this, the stupid watchers council gets blowed up. (laughs) Right. That was this episode, not the last one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Quentin's like, Oh, the girl knows nothing. It's like, cause you're not telling her anything again. That was, Oh man, I don't. I don't, I don't get the Watchers Council. They're so dumb. And what's also funny is they're like talking about all of their like you know branches. We haven't heard from Munich or whatever, and it's like you don't have one branch in the states. Are you kidding me? Right. How could you not have a branch in the New World? Are you that old world? <laughs> it was nice to see Lydia again. Yes, I'll, I think all of the like checkpoint watchers were there because the guy. Uh, I don't know his name. I don't know if he was ever named, but the guy that Buffy threw a sword past into the wall was also in there. Oh, yeah. That's the other guy that asked Quentin. He said something to Quentin. Yeah, I thought I recognized yeah. him, but I didn't put that together. Yeah, so that was fun. But yeah, Lydia was always, bye, Lydia. Bye, Lydia. <laughs> but, yeah, we but, won't miss them. Although it was what, for one brief moment, you're like, oh, they're going to actually help. And it's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> See, whereas I was just thinking, oh, they're going to come to Sunnydale and mess stuff up again. Well, yeah, that's probably more accurate. They're just but gonna... at least there would have been some bodies to throw in the True. front lines or something. True. <laughs> um, and then the only other small thing in that was they gave us some Robin Wood stuff. I, yeah. It's kind of random, but I, I do wonder. It's like I could... I could kind of see him like keeping an eye on the basement in general. But it's like it was weird that he just walked right to that room. Okay, that everybody's yeah. been trying to find. Yeah, so that that was my question. I so I remember the larger development with Robin. Like I I remember right. where his character is going, but I don't remember how it gets there or what. Like all the details. So when he just sort of seemed to sense something and walked down into the basement, I was like, Yeah, what is this? Is he? is he connected to the first somehow? Like I, I literally don't remember all that stuff. I think it's a red herring that we're supposed to wonder if he is. Right. Even from the first episode, they're like, well, the Hellmouth is directly under the principal's office. So he's evil or in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. And they're still playing out, which he is. So, but yeah, I mean, he's fun, but his, you know, like the stuff with the students was just kind of like getting to know him a little more, I think, mm-hmm. for later. So that could have kind of probably gone in anywhere. <laughs> so, 
significant, I guess, or maybe just to me, but significant. He's, <laughs> he's the character that got to bury poor, innocent I Jonathan. Know. I know. It's like, oh, God, another body. I guess I'll take care of it. Right. <laughs> I presume is the sentiment. So, yeah. yeah. I don't remember how long it is until we start getting some payoff on him, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It's, uh, when do we get? I mean, the first date episode I think, 14 yeah first date at least we get we find out about nikki okay so i don't know if we get any more like hints that ooh is he evil before then i think they're too busy in these first episodes yeah. with the uh potentials coming and all of that um so so i i really like the fact that xander is the one that figured out the whole trigger thing yeah, that was good. Um, not only because it's it's always nice when they find a way for Xander to organically, like, just genuinely be part of the team and come up with a solution or whatever. Um, but also because I will grasp at any straw. Like, even the tiniest suggestion that Xander is capable of viewing Spike as anything other than a mindless, soulless <laughs> killer, that's like catnip to me, so I will just clutch at <laughs> any example of that. So... Were you a Spander fan too? <laughs> well, I, I was going to laugh that off and say no, but actually I guess kind of, because I always, um, as much as Xander could infuriate me with his whole, you know, Spike is evil, we need to stake him stuff. Every time we get an example of the two of them being like an odd couple and teaming up for anything, I loved that. Yeah. So It was a good pairing. Like in season, I think that comes from season four when he had to have him living in his basement for a while yeah 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 just it was always very funny so, yeah. i get that so in an alternate reality we would have gotten another season with them sharing an apartment and <laughs> being more buddy buddy but yeah yeah definitely odd couple kind of thing for sure but he did good good cop bad cop with anya <laughs> that was great that was great um especially <laughs> Okay, so a laugh out loud moment for me was when she, the second time when she like bursts into the room and goes after Andrew and Xander pulls her off and she spins around and slaps the snot out of him. Really hard. And he looks like, he legitimately looks like he's about to cry. He looks totally <laughs> destroyed and she just whispers, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. So great. She's not, yeah, I don't... she's not really sorry. No, I, I don't think I'd want to role play with her, although I'm sure he's done it mm -hmm. because she would totally get all into it and out of hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, man, the, the Summer's House has had a couple bad episodes. Oh, my God. Yeah, I wrote that down. This is like you know, conversations with like destruction number one and this is destruction number two. And there's many more to come, I think. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that there wasn't even one sort of offhand joke, even amid all the chaos of Xander. Like I just fixed that window. You know, I think there's one later in the season. Like, why do I even bother or okay. something? Okay. <laughs> I, I'm okay. almost, I have it in my head, so I think it happened, but it's been a while. So I don't know when, but I swear he does make some sort of comment. Like, I just don't even know why I bothered to <laughs> fix this up. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't. Much I don't remember how big a deal the 
I think they were called bringers back then, right? In a men's. Well, they were both um, harbingers or bringers were both mentioned when Giles was describing them. Oh, okay. Okay. So, um, so the harbingers, I, I don't remember how serious a threat they were. I mean, they must've been, they were kind of the antagonists for most of that episode. So they must've been pretty significant, but I was surprised at how like genuinely on the ropes our heroes were yeah that was that was i mean they were off guard but still and all like yeah. separated and and i mean i just so i'm a dawn defender famously yeah. i just want to say how great it was that i mean i don't like seeing willow get slapped around but willow gets taken out okay actually back up first props <laughs> props to willow for even in the middle of a pretty heated combat situation she doesn't resort to magic right she easily could have done something there and she chose not to, which maybe was a bad choice because she immediately got knocked out. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think it's super cool that, uh, you know, one of the veteran Scooby gang gets taken out pretty quickly and then Dawn holds her own. She does good. Multiple she, times. The elbow to the face was great. The yeah. was great. Again, yeah. Dawn the Vampire Slayer, a show I would have watched. Right. Yeah, maybe she should have been a potential. Yeah. But she probably, it's hard to have the, the Slayer bloodline when, you know, I mean, I guess she has Buffy's blood too, yeah. so she could have, but yeah, like she Inter- didn't exist on the earth two years ago. So In- Interesting choice that the show decided not to go that route. I think it was good for her. You know, it was, she's another kind of every man like Xander, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like not getting the superpowers. And spoilers for people who haven't read the comics. I, I've I've read enough of the comics and talked to people enough about the comics to know that Xander and Dawn eventually become a thing. Yeah, I've I've read season eight, so yeah, they were a thing in that. We didn't see the beginning of it; it was just already established kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so with that I mean, in, they, they with that, that in that mind, happened. with that in mind, I've rewatched their. I've been just paying attention to their interactions a lot more closely mm-hmm. on this rewatch. Just trying to see if I could imagine that actually becoming a thing. I, I think I can. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a small town. I can imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what happens, you know. You know, some, somebody like marries somebody else's older brother or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I guess technically, there's only what four years difference or something between them. Right. Yeah. So. I think yeah. If. if Dawn matures enough into you know, an adult and she's already pretty mature this season. Yeah. You can kind of see it happening without being squicked out by it. This, at least some people can, not all people. Not all people. <laughs> yeah. This conversation and uh the word squick will come back in Angel. <laughs> yeah. Which got kind of a weird sideways shout out in this episode. Did because it? uh the first called Andrew Conan the Destroyer. Uh-huh. So that's close to Connor the Destroyer. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> yeah, that whole Connor being aged up really quickly. I it it I'll say amused, but it actually annoyed me <laughs> how much <laughs> people fought against the notion because we first met that character as a baby and then now he's an adult. I mean he's a petulant, immature adult, but he's an adult and he's doing adult things and people think it's gross. Yeah, I know. It's lack of imagination come on <laughs> uh, yes uh, but anyways uh, yeah 
So I did like uh, Willow's interaction with Andrew. That was terrific. Oh yeah, when they bumped into each other. Yes. And he's all scared, and she's all whatever until she learns. Oh God, I have to speak his language, don't I? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and when she gets him back to the house, and he's like, "Hey, your hair's not even black anymore." (laughs) (laughs) Well done, genius. Yeah. Um, it was that whole scene in the butcher shop was funny. It was yeah, like, it no. was very, very reminiscent of like when a young guy goes to a pharmacy to buy condoms <laughs> right? and he orders like a ton of stuff and just sneaks that condom reference in there. <laughs> yeah. The, the, good. I also like the butcher didn't even bat an eye at the, can you imagine how much blood he sells? Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. Exactly. I mean, Willow is about to walk in there and probably just order pig blood. <laughs> so I'm sure it happens all the time, but. Yeah. Um, all right. What else do we get in this episode? Okay. Well, we get all of the, oh, one just little note about Andrew. When Xander gives him the water, he sniffs it <laughs> as mm-hmm. if he's going to be able to smell poison or something. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that was just funny. It's probably an actor thing. You uh, you referenced the attempted pig slaughter. That was actually pretty funny. Oh, yeah, it was. I mean, you know, the whole time you're like, if you're thinking about the first, you're like, why are you demeaning yourself with this if you're so, like evil mm-hmm. but uh if you don't think about that it's just hilarious <laughs> um again the whole punchline that is the death of jonathan bugs me but um i, I want to ask <laughs> I, I guess he's an unreliable narrator the yeah the first talking as jonathan but sure. but when he's like i mean i'm smaller than most people so i don't have that much blood okay i'll i'll <laughs> I'll buy that one. And then when he says, I probably should have told people I was anemic. <laughs> that's so dumb. I'm like, that's not how anemia works. <laughs> like anemia, I, anemia, I don't think anemia means you don't have a lot of blood. It means you have a low iron level, right? right? Yeah. So apparently they just needed iron. They could have thrown some nails on the thing. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but then they replace him with a tiniest pig in existence. I know. And then, so, all right. So Jonathan wasn't enough, but this little piglet will do. Sure. Yeah. They didn't sure. really need much of Spike's blood. It must've been almost all the way done or something from Jonathan. Cause I, they, they really didn't need a lot of Spike to I, open it either. I did think about that the lot when, when he's like, you know, I'm smaller than most people. I don't have a lot of blood, but the, the scene like when he stabs jonathan and jonathan falls onto the seal like the the blood pours out of jonathan and pretty much covers that entire seal uh and then when um when uh robin when professor wood finds his body there's no blood on there at all yeah so the seal ate it i was gonna say yeah get enough i guess yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of (laughs) random Okay, so this was our introduction to the what will become known as the Uber Vamp. Right, the Turacon, I think. Turacon, yeah. Um, Camden Toy. <laughs> yes, the one of the gentlemen. Yes, and and Narl. and Narl, yeah, from earlier in the season. Um, he must be a fun guy to go to parties with. Uh. <laughs> was i gonna say oh so what are your thoughts on well i guess sticking to this episode 
for the moment. What are your what did you think of the reveal of a real vampire at the end? It was creepy at the time. Yeah. And and it's scary for the next couple of episodes. I mean, eventually towards the end of the season, there's a billion of them and everybody can kill them. But I mean, that happens in, in all of these kinds of stories. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he was totally creepy. It's like, what do you mean a real vampire? What the hell are you talking about? Right. <laughs> I, um, even though I remembered the, the Uber vamps, the Turrican, and I, I knew what he looked like as the camera was panning up to make the reveal. I was still just in the back of my mind. I was still kind of wishing that it looked a little more like the master. Oh, sure. I mean, I guess you, I guess you could imagine, you know, a couple thousand more years of evolution for the master and he might look like a Turrican, but. Right. Yeah. And a Kikistos. I can't remember what his face looked like. Oh yeah. I don't remember him at all. But He was another super old vampire with like cloven hooves and stuff. Yeah, that's right. So I guess they can, maybe they had Neanderthal vamps and then they had Cro-Magnon vamps or something. (laughs) Could be. I don't know. The Master has just always been one of my favorite designs on the entire series. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah, the Turrican is very scary for a little while. (laughs) So yeah, I think Eric alluded to this in our discussion last week, but I, I don't remember. Like, I remembered that the Uber vamps were a thing. And I remembered that at least for a while, this one was super tough to kill. Yeah. And that by the end, their people are just dusting them left and right. Yeah. But I didn't remember how long that went on, and I didn't remember if there was ever an explanation for that. Not really. I mean, you know, more training and and all that, I suppose. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, you know, at first it was like it was just it wasn't that it was impossible to get a stake to it. It's just that you had to get it in like harder because the the sternum was more difficult to penetrate or something. Right. Well, but then like Don and, and Xander and Anya, I mean, they're all just like, I mean, I don't know if Anya killed any, but they're all at the final battle. They're able to do a lot more damage than they were. There must be, there must be a Zen thing to that or something. There must be some sort of slayer foo that people learn (laughs) because I've always thought that vampires have the, like their chests are made out of paper mache or something because right it's pretty easy to plunge a stake into a vampire yeah it's much easier than a human i mean i would guess i wouldn't know of course well yeah, no <laughs> we we will not incriminate ourselves on this podcast <laughs> yeah they seem to have a special relationship to wood <laughs> like okay um so what do you think thematically of the the idea of introducing a quote unquote real vampire. I know sort of the, one of the themes of this season is uh, going back to the beginning. And so, right. uh, You know, the idea I guess here is to make sure that Buffy, the vampire slayer goes out with vampires being a legitimate threat again, since they've kind of become a joke. Maybe. Yeah. And, And the first is supposed to be like, you know, the first, so having an older, I mean, it's not quite like having an Illyria-type demon, but it's Ugh. close, right? Yeah. So it's one of the... I don't know if the Turrican are old ones. I doubt it, because I think they're orcs. They're minions, you know? <laughs> yeah. They're, even the name Turrican is very Urukai. Yeah. Yeah. So... I do but remember, I do that, remember that conversation happening back in the day. I remember that being a subject. 
Yeah. Well, especially like the end fight with the CGI, I think they used was the stuff that they developed in, in Lord of the Rings, I think. Oh. Or, I Damn. mean, I don't know that that's directly, I don't think they use Weta or anything, but I think, you know, other no. people had started using that. Yeah. But now I'm remembering a convert. I can't remember what the name of that software is that let that Weta developed to have crowds of digital assets that behave individually. Right. It's, is yeah, it massive? Is that what it was called? That sounds right or close. Yeah. yeah. Something to do with mass. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I remember that being a discussion for the, for the final episode that they were using the same massive hardware. Yeah. Crazy. That would make sense. Yeah. Oh, um, I had a thing. Oh, it was just a thing about the whole uh, Buffy Spike thing again. I guess we kind of talked about it, but we didn't necessarily talk about where they ended it here. I just thought it was, I, I loved what she said to him. And I find it's like she gave him the strength he needed, mm-hmm. just like she'd kind of given Willow strength. And that's very much a part of the the whole theme of the season. Yeah. And then at the end of the season, I think in Touched, he gives her strength with like a, a more like crafted speech, but still it's kind of feels like a bookend. Like she like tells him she believes in him. And then he's basically like, you're the one at mm-hmm. the end. And I just thought that was really, I hadn't noticed that before. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't try to get us to talk about that whole scene where Spike is trying to get her to kill him. That was um, that was powerful for a couple of reasons. Not only because of the the really powerful payoff where she stands face to face with him and says, "I believe in you." Yes. Um, but also his attempts to convince her that she needs to just stake him and get him get it over with. Right. Especially when he's talking about you know, do you know how much blood you can drain from a girl? I do. Or you want me to tell you all the things I've done to girls Dawn's age at that point, when he said that, I was like, Oh, he, that's it, man. He did it. He found, he found the trigger. Yeah. But uh, that would have worked a season ago. Yeah. So yeah, no, that, and it reminded me kind of, of damages a little bit when he's like, when there's this, when the, 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 the messed up slayer, thinks he's the one that tortured her and and kind of the audience is like was he the one that tortured her because <laughs> and right. he's talking about i've done worse and things yeah. like that yeah i just yeah that episode by the way for listeners who don't know that's from a- that's from season five of angel and uh crosses over with my issue the issues that i'm going to take with the end of buffy <laughs> So nice. <laughs> just to just to tease that that's coming up. No, that that makes perfect sense. It fits your argument, I think. Well, yeah. So yeah, and uh, then the the only other things I kept thinking about was in all of this, since there are parallels with Spike and Angel, was Destiny. It's just like, oh God, I can't wait till I watch Destiny again. <laughs> <laughs> was that the one with the Mountain Dew? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that episode. Excellent. Um, so what do we get? All right. So they string up spike. Um, oh, I'm such a, I'm such a sucker for like combat choreography. I I don't talk about it enough on this podcast. Listeners may roll their eyes at that, but on the, on the, (laughs) 
on the Avatar and Korra podcast I did, I talked about it incessantly. But um, <laughs> so I, I feel like I need to just shout out uh, the fight scene in last episode when uh, Buffy stakes was it seven? Is that how many there were? That's pretty close to that. Yeah, I, there was at least seven around her before she staked the old lady. So yeah. <laughs> which um, I think I read. Um, I can't remember if it was in Bite Me by Nikki Stafford, but I think I read somewhere that that is the highest single episode or maybe just single fight uh, body count for Buffy staking vampires. I could see that. Somebody that somebody compared it to um, Into the Woods where she staked a bunch of the vampires there, but there weren't as many in the final fight, I don't think. Yeah. Um yeah, that whole fight sequence was done really well. And kudos, I often wag my finger at the show when it's so plainly obvious that you're watching Buffy's stunt double, Sarah Michelle Gellar's <laughs> dunce double, or stunt double. But right. um, I, what is dunce double? Why did I say that? <laughs> I that, don't know, but it sounds dirty. That needs to be a thing. Um, <laughs> anyways, in, in that fight, at least in the basement, I never, I, I never noticed that we were seeing... Like the camera right. never fully focused on the stunt double's face, which it does sometimes. Right. Um, and then in this, even though it's more of um, a collection of of uh, combat scenes as the as the harbingers are attacking the house, still the the editing of that whole siege moment. I thought was handled really well and uh, gave you a yeah. good idea. I mean, we have seven seasons of knowing the Buffy Summers house, but still uh, you could follow the geography of the house. You knew what room was next to what and who was about to burst into the room and fight who. And Right. So yeah, thought, it was, it was good. Yeah. I like Buffy using Andrew as a weapon. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Instead, they used to call what the, the bag foo that she did with the brick in the first season. I think they called it bag foo or something. So this is Andrew foo, I guess. <laughs> oh, are you talking about in the first episode of this season? Yeah. 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 The purse with the brick. <laughs> yeah. In it. That was, I loved that. I loved that. Whole yeah. Thing. This was kind of similar, only it was a person. <laughs> yeah. And Andrew's not much bigger than that purse with a brick in it either. So that's very true. Um, the scene in the basement also was very, it was very reminiscent of fear itself when that was her fear in the haunted house. Oh, right. She like yeah. went down the basement and hands started coming out. Right. And then I was just like, Oh yeah, this whole show is from beneath you. It devours, isn't it? It's vampires. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love, again, even though I knew it was coming, I still got a little thrill. I got, I got a little, you know, tingle mm -hmm. when Buffy figures it out. I loved the fact that Buffy recognized yes. the Harbingers and I was like, Hey, I know these guys. I know who we're facing. Yeah, no, that was good. I mean, I don't think we ever saw their faces in the first couple episodes when they were killing potentials. No, I, I was think we just saw hooded people. Yeah. I was trying to think back if they had ever revealed that. Cause I had forgotten that the Harbingers, we must not have seen them before because yeah, I in this episode true. I was like, Oh yeah, they don't have eyes. <laughs> I'd totally forgotten right. that. So they haven't revealed that in this season before, I think. Yeah. So yeah, that was a good reveal. Of course the other ones are probably like, I don't think I remember this first thing you're talking about. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
but um, they will know soon enough. Are the Harbingers... Are the Harbingers human? I don't know. I doubt it. Or if they once were, they're not anymore. Okay. Um, Giles had said that um, back in Amends that they were the ones who gave the dreams. Like, they would raise spirits to haunt people. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, they were the ones who sent, you know, Angel, like, dreams of his old victims. But then I think, you know, the first was taking the form of Jenny. So right. maybe they go back and forth. Maybe they do the, the background stuff. And, yeah. And then, you know, it does the the main taunter. <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering, because, uh, I mean, I, I think you're right. If they were human, they're not anymore, because obviously they've had their eyes... I, I thought it looked like they'd had their eyes, their eyes scarred or carved out, but maybe they, I don't know. Sewn shut, maybe. Sewn shut, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, I don't remember. Because she, because she killed a couple of them, and I was like, oh, there's another human on Buffy's body count, but I, <laughs> I guess they don't count as human. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't count the knights as human, but I suppose I'm supposed to. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if they're like, have they been around since the Crusades? I don't know. Ugh, they were terrible. <laughs> okay so what else oh the the another line that buffy had is you fought the monster inside you which they, mm-hmm. they have a long string of the going back to the end of season five where he's like you know i know i'm a monster but you treat me like a man yeah so that yeah. was part of their i mean angel had that too in amends where he's like it's not the monster that needs killing it's the man so yeah. Um, oh, another funny Anya line that I forgot about was maybe it's another musical. <laughs> Just a crappier one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for helping out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Uh... Oh. oh, go ahead. I did have one other thing that's totally immaterial, but when the, the first shows up this time, it's wearing Spike's long leather jacket, which we won't see for a little bit longer. So. Oh, yeah, he's not wearing the jacket anymore. Right. Yeah, he doesn't put it on until get it done. So That's interesting, because when the first appears... So every time that we see the first appear as Buffy, it's wearing what Buffy has, is wearing in the episode. And I know on a from a, from a television storytelling standpoint, that's because they need to sort of either trick or creep us viewers out. Right. <laughs> but um, I just assumed that that meant that the the first, that that was a deliberate thing that the first was doing. And so it's interesting that the first is appearing as Spike, but dressed differently. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Maybe, maybe it's a sign that he's starting to see that this is separate from himself, you know, because yeah. before it was all mixed up and he said it was like him seeing somebody else do the killings and that's kind of the first taking you know dressing exactly like him and confusing his mind or something so maybe now he's seeing more clearly it's separate i don't know maybe but i thought it was interesting now i'm trying to remember every time we've seen it as him has it been wearing the the coat I can't remember. It definitely is not because in Sleeper, it was pretty much dressed like he was. Okay. I'm, I'm almost positive. I could be wrong, but um, 
I think that's the only time we've seen it as him, right? Was starting in Sleeper? Um, I, don't... I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Man, I'm terrible. I think. I, I literally and I'm pretty just... sure he was dressed like him. I, I, I literally have just done episodes about all of these shows. <laughs> right. so I don't know why. I just I... watched them all too, but I'm like, I don't think, I, you know, he was haunted by Buffy a lot. Yeah. And that was maybe part of why the first was always dressed as her is because she could like the time when he thought he was talking to her and then she walked up and mm -hmm. so just to confuse him even more. Yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything else that we've missed or any other, uh, any other big moments that we haven't touched on? Oh gosh. I don't think so. I, I did like that um, through this whole thing, because uh, I think uh, Michael Adams, is that his name? I'm saying it right. The Slayer Slaying guy that you had on. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was saying, you know, talking about some of the themes of, uh, you know, being alone or being in a group and stuff like that and talking about, and Buffy was talking about, you know, whether she's cut off or whatever, but her and Willow especially and her and all of the Scoobies are pretty much sharing all of their information as it comes up in these two episodes. And I like that. The only one who really holds back is Dawn. And you can kind of understand why she holds back about the whole Buffy won't choose you thing. Yeah. yeah. That, that was, so yeah, two points there. One, it, it was a little uncomfortable watching Dawn uh, struggle with, Oh, so what the what the bad guy told spike is true so it does say right. true things <laughs> right. like i agree it's very clear why she's doing that but it is a little it was a little uncomfortable for me but maybe that's because i don't remember how i don't remember how effective the first sort of conditioning on dawn ultimately is I mean, I, I think I might have commented this on Facebook, but I do think it kind of pays off in that she she's part of the group. In fact, she's the one that's like, you need to leave right. when they kick Buffy out. And right. I think that at least played a part in it. You know, it wasn't very, maybe it wasn't very like, this is why she's doing, I mean, there were other reasons, but I think yeah. it planted a seed that might have helped. Uh, the other th point was we were so excited or, I was so excited that uh, season seven opens with, Oh my God, they're going to acknowledge that cell phones exist. She's, <laughs> she's giving Dawn the most dangerous weapon in the world, a cell phone. Yeah. And, uh, and like one of the gags uh, of the season has been that Buffy keeps dropping her cell phone or whatever. Um, so I, I was going to, I was going to turn that whole cell phone thing into a punchline and talk about how impressive it is that now that we have cell phones and cell phones are proving to be ineffectual. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the Scooby gang is just communicating with each other like better than they have in many seasons. Of course they all live together now. Apparently. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think they're doing really well so far. It's but, gone. It's going to fall apart, but it's nice now. I, I think the cell phone, the addition of a cell phone, I think it's only been useful twice so far. One in the first episode when Dawn is down in the cellar, down in the basement, and she actually calls Buffy. Right. Um, so that pays off the cell phone because Buffy couldn't have found her or known about it without that. And then in Sleeper, 
when Spike calls her. Right. I was like, I don't, I don't know why I was so impressed by that, but I was like, who is he calling? Oh my God, he's calling her cell phone. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's the new world all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of useful as a symbol in conversations with dead people. Yes, yes. It was a punchline. Or, or yeah. It was a punchline, but yes, it was also a metaphor. Sure, yeah. you're, con- you're connected to lots of people, Buffy. <laughs> I, I just remember there was some commentary about how, like, ne- no, at no time was, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar ever wearing pants that had pockets so she just like <laughs> pretend to stick it in her back pocket and that would be how they'd handle it <laughs> oh that's hilarious i didn't even think of that yeah okay well i think we've uh i think we've dissected it as much yeah, as we can we covered it pretty well i think i'm probably sure i forgot something that i'll regret <laughs> yeah, I, I always forget stuff that's why why you wonderful people who actually acknowledge the facebook posts <laughs> are so precious to me um so tammy thank you for coming out of isolation (laughs) and joining me on this podcast for the first but hopefully not last time well thank you i actually had a good time and it wasn't anywhere near as nervous as i thought it would be maybe i've grown (laughs) (laughs) okay well i'm glad i didn't uh i didn't terrify you um do you want to let the listeners know how they can stalk you online um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I have a Twitter. I don't go there a lot. It's just uh, at Witness Aria. I think it's all one word. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I am on Facebook at Tammy Anderson, but I, I mostly am just Facebook friends with people I know with a few notable exceptions. So, but yeah. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, uh, I have this weird split life i guess between facebook and twitter where on twitter i know you can set it you can set twitter to show people's like real names as opposed to their twitter names right but but i don't i don't have that because i know so many people by their twitter names their twitter handles so it has taken me the longest time to connect tammy anderson on facebook <laughs> with witness aria on on twitter and to this yeah. to this day i still have conversations with pam with my wife where i'm trying to tell her something like for example something that tammy anderson just posted this on facebook um who is she on twitter i'm trying because because pam's not on facebook so she doesn't know people by those names right anyways it's so it's so weird i can't i can't keep people's multiple personalities <laughs> straight in my head yeah, I know I have the trouble a little bit too, but I also never have put, I don't think I've ever put my real name on Twitter. Oh, okay. Was, well, that makes me feel a little better, but yeah, I don't know if it would help anyways. <laughs> yeah, I so. probably should. I don't know. I always considered that more, more of the outside world with strangers on it. <laughs> and Facebook is more like, you know, closer grouping of people I know or something. I don't know. It's yeah. dumb. I'm old. So I no, I think that's to... how, I think that's how it's supposed to be. I don't know if that's how I effectively use it, but it is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. But anyways, so Tammy witness Aria, thank you <laughs> for joining me. And, uh, thank you. We'll need to get you back. Um, probably not for Buffy. Cause I think Buffy is pretty tight until the end, oh. but angels, I... by and large angels pretty wide open. So if there's any angel uh. stuff you want to come back for, let me know. 
Oh, I'm happy to come back for Angel. I'm I'm looking forward to rewatching it along with you because it's been a while. I can't wait. Cannot wait. Um, all right. And thank you all at home for listening. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Um, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, I guess, for a while at least, while iTunes still exists. Apple Podcasts. Um, if you do that, please rate us or write us a review. That really helps us find new listeners. Um, if you have any questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on whatever we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on Facebook. Con, conswithdead, I think. Yes. <laughs> or I think it's facebook.com slash conswithdead. But if you search conversations with dead people, I don't know. I don't know the shorthand for Facebook. I don't know. I don't <laughs> Who know knows what I'm doing. the shorthand for Facebook ever? We're out there. You can find us. Um, next week, Vicky Willis Navarra is going to be joining me to discuss episodes. Uh, I forgot the numbers. Seven ten, uh, bring on the night, and seven eleven showtime. So, Ooh. until then, Gerarg, everybody, Gerarg. Because no love-